0: Welcome to the GateWorld Podcast. Welcome to this week's installment of the GateWorld Podcast. This is episode number 18, and today we're talking about last Friday's new episode of Stargate Atlantis, The Prodigal. Today, David and I are going to be joined by GateWorld Forum moderator Tammy Ferrar in just a few minutes to talk about the episode. But first, we have some Stargate news and special site features to cover including a preview of GateWorld's upcoming interview with actor Peter Williams. Four out of five life-sucking space vampires agree. A human a day keeps the munchies away. The GateWorld podcast starts right now. My name is Darren Sumner, and joining me is GateWorld's answer to uh, Walter Harriman, David Reed.
1: Locked. How are you, sir?
0: I'm doing well. I can't believe that we're, we're down to the last six episodes of atlantis after this week
1: i know it's crazy it's going fast and then no more atlantis yes it is you know sg1 seemed to like last forever in my mm-hmm. life you know i was a child when i first started watching it and i was living on my own when i watched the last episode but atlantis has flown by it really has at least we have the movies to look forward to at least
0: well let's jump right into the news this week stargate news Here are your headlines from GateWorld for November 11th, 2008. The series finale of Stargate Atlantis now has an air date. The sci-fi channel in the U.S. will premiere Enemy at the Gate, the show's 100th and final episode, on Friday, January 9th. The cable network is celebrating Atlantis with a week-long marathon of some 75 episodes of the series, starting on Friday, January 2nd. Then there will be day-long marathons Monday through Friday of the following week, leading up to the final episode on Friday. Watch for more specific scheduling details on the TV schedule page over at GateWorld.
1: Just in time for your holiday shopping, Quantum Mechanics has announced that it will release a replica of the F-302 Interceptor next month created from the original cg models of the ship the hand-painted model has a wingspan of eight inches and comes with a nine by six diorama modeled after the prometheus flight deck the model should be available by december 15th with a price tag of around 120 dollars us
0: there are new comments out this week from stargate universe co-creator robert c cooper who talked with mgm's official stargate website Cooper said that the characters in the new show who find themselves on the ancient ship Destiny are a little more identifiable and contemporary. They have that every man on the street quality that Jack O'Neill brought to SG-1. Cooper said that the team that ends up on the ship is not really who was supposed to go, and in some cases they're very unprepared and unqualified to be in that situation. So they don't have all the answers as quickly, and the challenges are greater than they would be for people who have seen it all. Read more from Rob
1: Cooper now at GateWorld.net. Or visit stargate.mgm.com. And finally, Legends Memorabilia President Paul Brown told GateWorld that the company is not renewing its Stargate prop replica license with MGM. After three years and 26 different items, from Zet guns to life-size staff weapons, Legends will cease manufacturing and devote its efforts to other areas of Stargate memorabilia. The company also sells original props and costumes, studio art, scripts, and autographs, but the replica business was not economically viable.
0: GateWorld Features
1: Last week, we gave you an early listen to part of our new interview with Paul Brown, the head of Legends Memorabilia. The new interview is now online at GateWorld. Legends is responsible for maintaining the vast archive of Stargate collectibles. Paul talks about the process of acquiring and cataloging new costumes and property from the Stargate production offices, the rampant spread of inauthentic merchandise, and his own personal involvement with Richard Dean Anderson's charities. This is an audio interview, and it runs about 24 minutes. Look for it now at GateWorld, or subscribe to the GateWorld Interviews podcast on iTunes. I just got a notification that the studio itself
0: is going to be auctioning off some items from the set and things like crew gifts as well as props. We haven't posted that yet, but definitely look for it soon. Crew gifts. Yeah, like the uh, North Face jackets that they've given out as crew gifts on the show every year. Oh yeah. Oh. You may have noticed over the last few weeks that we are working on a new way for you to use GateWorld. Now you can browse the site by show with a dedicated homepage for Stargate SG-1, Stargate Atlantis, and now Stargate Universe. This will let you check out news coverage, interviews, books, videos, DVDs, that sort of thing, all specific to your favorite incarnation of the Stargate franchise. Just visit GateWorld.net slash SG-1
1: slash Atlantis or slash Universe to browse by show. No. Oh. And coming this week to Gateworld is a brand new interview with Lord of Office himself, actor Peter Williams. We visited with Peter at GateCon this past summer and talked about repeatedly killing his character and raising him from the dead, his interaction with fans, and his most recent projects. Here's a preview just for Gateworld podcast listeners. Were you continually surprised when they bring you when they would bring you back, or did it just get to a point like, well, it's about time for them to bring me back and I don't know how they do it, but it's about they're gonna do yep. it, but it's about time. You know
2: how it would work? You'd get a rumor. The casting director would call and uh, um, request details as to the
0: actor's availability. Uh Well, anyone who knows actors, we're always available. Always. Just take it as read. We're always available.
2: So you'd get that rumor, they're inquiring as to your availability. And the minute you hear that, you know something's up. There's a script coming down. And I wasn't so much as surprised as I was elated. Oh, really? Elated. Really, you really, really loved that character. I've, well, I love the character, and I love the remuneration and it brings, and it also keeps me going on the convention circuit, which <laughs> is really good for those stamps in my passport. Right. The only thing that scared me was, are they going to want me to cut off all my hair again? Yeah. And they were good about it. They worked around it because I was usually doing something else that needed the hair, and right. And
1: um, you know, yeah, I'm a well-known hair actor. <sighs> David Palfy as Anubis, he always said that no hair work has worked in his advantage. It has worked in his advantage, and it's a damn good thing too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, Love you, David. Watch for Gateworld's full video interview with Peter Williams later this week.
0: The main discussion. Our main discussion topic today is the Prodigal, last Friday's new episode of Stargate Atlantis. David and I are joined today by Gateworld Forum moderator Tammy Ferrar. Tammy, welcome back to the podcast.
2: Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I am glad to be here. It's nice being here before the next fifth episode David was shocked. I, I was. You know, it it brought an instability to my universe. You it were did. here
0: just what? 2 3 Well, yeah. I guess 3 podcasts ago, 2 episodes
2: ago. And so It's good to have her back. Yeah, well, you know, apparently the, Tammy. Well, the the check got to Darren apparently. So yeah send some of that my way why don't you
0: (laughs) well let's talk about the prodigal and
2: michael's big return well it's about time most definitely most definitely it was nice to see him come back
1: i'll be honest this episode is the episode that i have been looking forward to almost as much as the uh series finale if not more because michael has been a very well-developed character in uh, a television show where well-developed enemies have been few and far between. Hmm. So I have been really eager to get him back, and I was not disappointed. I really wasn't. I have to say that, um, that I could not have been more delighted. Really? Yeah.
2: My expectations, I don't think – well, I don't think I had as high of ones. It was um, – I was expecting something a little more exciting than um, – Maybe some of the scenes that were in there, but there granted there were some that I was that I thought were really great um but I think at different times the writing maybe lacked, and while Connor i think uh did everything he could with the scene to you know bring across that that desperate sociopathic um type of personality that Michael has at this time with that the vengeance the whole thing, and he's a you know a genius on top of it because. How else could he be doing all this research and figuring it all out? Um, that all came across, but sometimes it was a little over the top and inappropriate in different scenes, or the reactions weren't um, what I, was, I would have hoped for. What did you think was inappropriate? Um, I think the one that I noted that I thought was kind of um, cliché was when he went in there with Taylor and was saying, you know, I'll take you both with me. That just seemed very cliché. You mean the scene where he's mm-hmm. he's basically asking her to, to be his girlfriend? Yeah, yeah. I thought, you know, I mean, I could see where um, he was trying to get the most out of the scene, and I really felt that from Connor. I mean, I felt it from the actor, but I just thought that the whole scene was not set up real well.
1: You know, I have to say I appreciated that scene. It's something that Connor and I discussed in our interview last year, at least I think it was, um, where you know he was developing a relationship with her and mm-hmm. and he sh- and she showed him compassion in the episode mm-hmm. michael mm-hmm. and then we were all like confused when he was being so really inconsiderate of of her physical state when she was pregnant in the last couple of episodes of season uh, 4 and it was like you know i thought I thought that he really cared about her, you know, I thought that there was a part of him that was that was thankful that even though he was going through such a horror he was he was he had a he kind of had a friend yeah you know wh- mm-hmm. who wasn't completely revealed revealing everything to him but was concerned and did care about what was going to happen to him, and that's to me what that scene spoke to now it it, it you're right, it was kind of like uh." all of a sudden now, you know, but I was glad that they paid homage to it and that he finally did come around and say, you know what, I realized that, you know, even though you were following orders, you tried to do what you could for me and here is me returning the favor. And oh, by the way, after all that, um, that experimentation stuff, just, just forget that and come with me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I liked the, the return to that, Michael, because, you know, we saw in the last man that the season finale last year. In the alternate future, we saw that after Taylor had had her baby, she he either killed her or left her to die, which yep. sort of indicates that 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 positive relationship that they had going between them was over. So it's kind of nice, I think, for me to see this coming back.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I always felt that that Michael cared for Taylor in some way, shape, or form, and to have him being so sadistic with her in the latter half of season four, I never felt right about. And this I felt right about. Yeah. So,
0: you know, I'm, I didn't like this episode much at all. The first time I saw it, I'll be honest, I decided that the last act was really great. And I loved what they did in the last act, but everything leading up to it, I thought was boring. Uh, but the second time I watched it, it, it kind of settled down for me. And and obviously I knew a little bit more what to expect I enjoyed it a lot more the second time I still have some issues with it but I think that what helps to put this episode in context for me is the fact that I see two Michaels on Atlantis there's the Michael who hates us for what we did to him uh, and there's the Michael who wants to take over the galaxy Um, and so I think we kind of we saw the first Michael through season two and early season three uh, up through Misbegotten, uh, where he's he's you know, it's he's, he's got personal problems and the Wraith are rejecting him and he's he's uh flying Dutchman with no home and and then when Vengeance comes along at the end of season three and then all the way through season four with the kindred, this is a this is a different Michael to me. This is the guy who's trying to rule the galaxy and we don't really we don't really know what his motivation is other than he just feels spurned and wants to burn everyone. Mm-hmm. So what helped to put this episode in perspective to me was that we're—I think—we're in this episode. We're seeing a lot more of the, the first Michael, the early Michael, who is sort of a, a tormented soul. He has a plan to to rule the galaxy. He obviously has still got his hybrid thing going, and he wants Taylor's baby to further mm-hmm. that agenda. But it's—we're seeing the first Michael a lot more. We're seeing the Michael that has uh, some kind of affection for Taylor. We're seeing the Michael who wants vengeance specifically on atlantis for what they did to him and uh, a michael who's really torn inside
1: yeah i've always had a, a a great soft spot for michael um i've always i've always felt that we really need to atone for what we did to him we are 100% responsible for what we, for what happened to him, mm-hmm. and anyone whose blood is on his hands, that blood is on our hands. We let him go. This is ex- exactly the same thing that happened in Season 5 of SG-1 with Rite of Passage. They let Nirti go, and she went off to, to conquer more planets, and we considered the, that planet with all those mutant beings um, our problem because we did do that. You know, and we allowed that to happen. And I didn't really feel the same thing from from these guys when they were when Shepard was on trial in Inquisition last couple weeks ago. You know, he kind of felt like, well, we've kind of I mean, we're 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 doing the best we can, you know, but in terms of the blood is on our hands kind of thing, mm, not so much.
0: Yeah, it seemed like it had a little bit more to do with the Hoffman drug and the fact that our guy basically invented the thing or helped helped invent the thing, rather than Mm -hmm. necessarily that it was Michael who was using
2: it. I guess I'm going to be the one that kind of backs off on all of that, because unless you are just really, really into the Michael character to that extreme, a lot of this stuff isn't coming to mind as you're sitting there watching 48 Minutes. Mm-hmm. So, everything that you're bringing up, it is definitely changing my viewpoint and how i look you know and how i'm looking back on the episode. But as I sat there watching it a lot of the a lot of this stuff did not come to mind I didn't think about that i you know Michael was one way at the beginning of this season mm-hmm. and then another way for these two seasons, and now i'm seeing this on this episode um It was harder to to figure out who he was. In this particular episode. As far as I was concerned. Um, And it could very well be that. Because that was somewhere in the. Lurking in the back of my subconscious. That okay this character is just not gelling. Um, Because I was really looking forward to Prodigal. I was looking forward. uh, To seeing what was going to happen with Michael. Um, And maybe like when you were discussing. With the expectations of. It just wasn't exactly what I was expecting. And if if nothing else, maybe I was a little more let down because I thought he was, um, really the, the thought that Kate kept crossing my mind was he is insane. This, mm. he's he is he's lost it. Mm-hmm. He's he's so far gone with um, wanting to you know have the baby, wanting to have revenge, wanting to have uh, something that he doesn't even know what he wants anymore. He's just wanting, and it's, it's just – he's just made himself crazy, and that's what I saw. Yeah.
1: Well, I, do, I certainly don't think we're – the Atlantis is responsible for his power hungriness, but we are responsible for him getting the place that he has become where he recognized that he had a power apart from the other wraith and took advantage of it
2: yeah but you're um, you' you're you're taking a side that I think I have to say if you're going to go with that it's the same thing that Taylor said and you know that one line is no this is all about vengeance you're pissed mm-hmm. and you want to get yeah. back at people and to me that you know he had a choice he could have stayed with them and he could have aligned himself with you know all that but it was he was just flat out pissed off i have to i have to agree with that particular i don't you know i have i have to I can't really go with the whole um we did all this, we deserve to be you know paying for the mistakes, and you know all this is on our hands. everything Michael did from the moment he walked out that door after they offered to continue to work with him that's on Michael it's not on atlantis it's not on anybody hm that's an interesting perspective.
0: it seems to me that what what you guys are bringing out is that there's there's really two conversations that we need to have here There's the prodigal as an episode Which we actually haven't talked a whole lot in detail about mm-hmm. yet And then there's, there's Michael and his, his story arc Over the course of the last almost three years now um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's definitely a major thing Because obviously Atlantis is coming to its conclusion And for, for all appearances, Michael seems to be dead So we seem to have wrapped up that story mm-hmm. arc And it needs to be evaluated, I think um, oh, I think so, too. But the episode so, specifically, let's talk a little bit more about this, and then we'll get sort of more to Michael and,
2: and his arc. Well, the opening scene, I have to say, that was hilarious for me. The race cars? The, no, actually, it was the Ronin and Woolsey. Oh. They, I, I, you don't normally laugh when Ronin's on the screen. And for these two gentlemen who are normally very staid, very you know straight laced and everything they were hilarious at that moment you know the whole the whole thing back and forth and the facial expressions the you know i mean mm-hmm. the second watching it, you, i was just cracking up and it was fun when they did the car thing too those the the first thing i thought is you know it was fun in the first 5 minutes i was already laughing again at stargate and it made me feel like i was back home
1: yeah, those were some good scenes. I was really happy about those. I saw the clips of the race cars in the Gate World Gallery section. I was like, "Oh, this is going to be fun." <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we need. We need a little fun. Mm-hmm. So, we had golf in in season three, and um, I think this is important. So, it was nice to have something a little different.
2: I, you know, I live with a NASCAR nut, so <laughs> go, Jimmy Johnson. So, <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs>
0: I thought these opening scenes were fun. There's there's some great character moments with, obviously, with uh, Ronan and Woolsey. It's fun to see what amounts almost to two straight men playing off each other. And it's really fun to see the personal side of, of McKay and Shepard hanging out uh, on a personal level, on a friendship level. That's something that mm-hmm. we've talked about in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yes. What I wasn't crazy about was we kind of all knew that this was Michael's episode. This was Michael's return. You couldn't really miss it if you were watching the ads on Sci-Fi. Uh, but the the opening is is kind of a slow reveal as to who's here, what's going on, where all the lights off. It, it seemed like the entire first act, or at least most of it, was sort of getting through the hallways and getting radios distributed and trying to figure out what's going on. It kind of felt like quarantine to me back in season four. Um, and it kind of said to me like Well maybe we don't have enough story to tell with Michael That we have to kind of pad it out a bit I wish they hadn't told his arrival in a flashback And I wish that they hadn't spent quite so much time With our guys not really knowing what's going on Not knowing that it's Michael running around Trying to get their efforts coordinated mm-hmm. uh, it seemed like that was a, too big of a percentage That the slow reveal was, was a little too slow for my tastes What do you guys think?
2: I'd have to agree with you there since we already, you know, you did know it was a Michael episode that um, it it looked like they were trying to make it kind of suspenseful at the beginning of, oh, something bad's happened. You know, what what could it be? And unfortunately, you know, due to the fact that we do see all the promos, that whole aspect of it is gone once you finally when you're watching it. So I I agree with you there. It would have been a lot more fun to to have it just kind of come at them you know frontal force
1: i think i'll have to agree more the more i watch the episode over the years because it's i mean the, I, obviously the what they were trying to achieve was just like tammy said you know i mean they they wanted it to be a, a reveal a big reveal and the more i think i watch the show in the years to come it's going to be like okay guys Let's let's get past this point now. I mm-hmm. I know who's there. I've known who's there for fifteen viewings now. So let's <laughs> let's get to Michael because that's why I'm watching. Yeah. And Connor mopped the floor. He mopped it.
0: He yeah. did great. And I've been so I, I I love Michael's character. So I was really looking forward to this one. I and I've been so disappointed with Michael um, since I mean that second Michael that, that I was talking about since Vengeance and all the way through Kindred. I've been disappointed with how little he gets used or or when we see yeah. him he's not he's not the michael that that was this conflicted guy in season two um and even if he's he's not conflicted okay I can see there's character growth there he's on to bigger and better things he's trying to conquer the galaxy, but we didn't see his plan we didn't hear anything about his plan we just saw his hybrids, which we've talked about in the past is mm-hmm. they seem to be really wimpy they're easy to shoot mm-hmm. they're easy to turn yeah um and he needs the baby in order to exercise greater control over his hybrids, but we don't really see necessarily what value that's going to have. We don't see the path to him really being a threat to him taking over the galaxy. I yeah, think. there's there's too much of his plan that's sort of left in the shadows.
1: Yeah, I would have loved for the 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 first DVD movie to be *Stargate Atlantis*. Michael, you know. Mm-hmm. Kind of what they're doing with Battlestar Galactica, they're they're showing the path of the Cylons, and and I, I would have loved for for Atlantis to show Michael's path, you know, to be to have Michael be the A
2: plot. I think yeah, I'd have to agree with you there again because I I would love to see that character with a lot more definition, since he is supposed to be so so sinister to everything.
0: Yeah, but there's more, there's more mm-hmm. meat here, there's more emotion, and Connor does a great job with it. Oh yeah, uh, and that's the sort of episode that I would have liked to see was was. More of the emotional stuff between Michael and Taylor instead of the here pass out radios, and can you go to the power room and try and reboot the city
2: ah uh, mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm. I can see that mm-hmm. although although I have to say i'm gonna go on just just because I li- really like the special effects mm-hmm. um, I thought that you know the big scene with where you know Rodney and uh Shepard take in the city awesome. I don't know if that was a map painting or CGI, but it was done of the city was just done very well. Then they had all the, you know, the Sunfield. That was cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought they did a really good job with that. Yeah, like Woolsey stepping down the stairs mm-hmm. into it. And yeah. It
0: just, it, even at ankle level, it renders him unconscious.
2: Right. And so, and you know, when Lauren hit it with the top of his head, I thought, oh, cool, this is new. It was just a new thing and it was cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, well, and it's one cool. of those little things. So. I was
1: thrilled that the Stargate was used in this episode <laughs> yeah. as, as, as something other, other than just yes. a doorway. You know, we know that the mm-hmm. Vortex can, can absolutely obliterate matter, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that was excellent. Did that you guys was see that
0: coming at all, yeah. that that solution to getting rid of the puddle jumper?
1: No. No, no I didn't.
0: I didn't either. Never Maybe, I, I,
1: happily, just, happily saying that, yeah.
0: Yes, happily. Maybe I'm just paying too close attention, but... Uh, I was thinking about using the Vortex to, to destroy Michael's ship when, you know, Ronan says there's, there's this many hybrids here, and Woolsey says, well, unless he brought more through. So I was thinking, well, okay, the, the jumper's in the way, so you'd have to uh, obviously have the shield up when you dial the Stargate to have more foot soldiers come through. But if the shield wasn't up, it just got me thinking about the fact that, that the Kawoosh would destroy the ship.
1: I had that exact same thought to myself. And then I realized that the puddle jumper may not have come in from a, from a space stargate. It may have just went through on land, and then his troops could have followed behind him in the same gate cycle. Mm. Yeah, that's true. You know? But it, the vortex didn't occur to me after, after that at all. It, it, it left my mind, and I didn't even think about that destroying the ship. There's a couple other things. Michael
0: would have needed Atlantis' new address, and I'm not sure where he got it. Uh, and he also obviously needs an iris code, but there's there's a bit of an implicit explanation in that he uses Major Nelson's iris code. Right. Uh, so apparently, we're I think we're supposed to believe that that he managed to find one of the teams from Atlantis out on their recon and, and got the code. And yeah, got, got their the, code. Right. And, and got probably the gate, the gate address. address, but I don't know how yeah. they got the gate address. Is that is that well? Something yeah, from now, I I'm sure someone would have
1: that. Yeah, I'm sure, sure that know. team would have a book of gate addresses. You think they either carried or...
0: around with them?
1: You think that they, think they would that they have they... all committed it to memory?
0: I would think so, yeah. think so that, that cool. maybe they could have just... Major Nelson or, or somebody on his team had to actually be tortured. That's yeah, what I was thinking, too. is that they could have just tortured yeah. him. I mean, yeah, It's certainly plausible. I just thought it was
2: interesting that they didn't stop to take the time to explain it.
1: And they didn't explain what happened to Nelson's team either.
2: That would have been your flashback rather than having the opening scene, while as nice as it was, having Michael show up, do all the boom, bang, boom, and have your flashback be, how did he get there? Mm-hmm. That would have been interesting. Yeah, explaining his, his genius to Taylor. I have to agree with you there. You've got on here the other characters. Now, I have to step in here because and, and, oh, I said this to yeah. David yesterday. Uh-huh. That, Thanks, um, kicked ass. Um. Uh, yeah, well, she was cool. But uh, this, this one, for all the Ronin fans who listen to the podcast, how much do we love that man's biceps? <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> I didn't notice the biceps. Yeah, I, oh,
1: I could have cared less.
2: Uh, well, of course you both could have. That's, this is not for you. This is for liked, all the ladies out there listening. I really liked Ronin's
0: fight scene with Michael. It was yes. it was cool that you know Shepard is the hero was not the only one who got
1: to have mm-hmm. the, the knockdown No, drag it, it out. wasn't just that. It was resolving something since michael since that original episode yeah where where ronan pinned michael to the wall that's all that i was thinking about was that michael was going to finally take him at least get get a chance to to pay him back for for how he mistreated him there's been a grudge between them and if they did not slug it out i would have been disappointed
2: yeah uh, there was the both fight scenes when they first came out of uh, when Ronan came out of the room and the girl Amelia Banks came out and kicked butt mm-hmm. with him, um, mm-hmm. I know that here it was the first thing was "Whoa, go girl!" Mm-hmm. and it was a good fight scene. And then again, the one with um, Ronan and Michael was awesome. So kudos to you know the choreographers of that. That was just that was exciting. Those were good moments. Yeah, this mm-hmm. was a great episode for fight scenes. Mm-hmm.
1: And the one on the outside of the tower. I mean, it was like. man this is this is like this is like the matrix or or blade you know i mean it's really i'm getting into this you know it's very well done
0: yeah that final fight scene you know Mm -hmm. it's it's actually kind of surprises me because it's it's really cool and it's not the sort of thing that that stargate actually does where you have sort of the the epic archetypal hero versus uber villain slug it out um you we've seen that obviously in in TV shows and movies for years and years but i can't think of a of an instance where
2: stargate's really done something like that Mm-mm. and then the the cinematography how they did the, the panoramic views it was just really cool taylor's decision to kill
1: michael you you have that point here that's a great ethical question because obviously
0: when when you're watching your heroes in typical hero movies and TV shows if the hero has compassion on the bad guy who's helpless and and reaches down at the last minute. You know, you think of you, you think of the Klingon hanging yeah. off the edge of the precipice mm-hmm.
2: on Crooge. Genesis Planet, Kruege yeah. uh, in uh, in Star Trek Three. My first thought was, "Hell hath no fury like that of a mother." Yeah, uh,
1: you know, yeah. I was when he was hanging there. I was thinking to myself, "Is she going to help him? Is she?" And I was expecting mm-hmm. her to reach down and pull up a hand. You know, and there's and... that great
0: shot of Shepard. Shepard is not saying anything like Taylor he's just looking at no, her like this is this absolutely is between
1: her and him this is mm-hmm. absolutely
0: Taylor's decision and
2: I wonder what she's going to do and she
1: stomps on his hands
2: yep i was you totally know? impressed that they did that i was like well you go girl
1: if she pulls him up then what you know what does michael do what does well, the team yeah, do i mean you throw him in your jail they yeah you know he's only going to be bad news
0: so, mm-hmm. ethically, I think it's it's uh, obviously extremely, extremely dubious. Uh, but in terms of story, heck, that's the most character development Taylor's gotten in a year.
1: Well, you say ethically. If he had gotten shot when the Marines entered the, the Gatrium to take down the hybrids, no one would have batted an eye. But when he got thrown over the top of mm. the tower and there's a moment when we have a chance to save his life. You bring that up as ethically dubious. I think as soon as he came back to invade and take the child and, and blow up the base, yeah. he signed all, away all of his rights. Then and yep. there,
0: that's exactly the question is, is at what point is, is an enemy combatant to be considered a combatant? And ethicists mm. have, have this conversation all the time. Is there any point at which, you know, if you stumble across your, your enemy combatants and, they have their rifles leaning up against the tree, and they're sitting around the fire, smoking
1: or, or eating lunch. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. are you are you justified in shooting them?
1: Or you know, Serpent Song, season two of SG One. You know, that was a big question. And that's one of my favorite episodes. Yeah, with Apophis. Uh huh. I think Catherine Powers wrote that one, but it was you know that that raised a lot of important uh, important thoughts. You know, mm.
0: the other thing that I really liked about Taylor and and her decision and and her. Her coming in at the end of this big fight scene where you really were not sure if Shepard was going to be able to beat Michael was that Taylor's not the damsel in distress here. She's
1: the one coming to the rescue and saves John. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of times when she was carrying Torrin, you know, when Ronan was fighting Michael, I was saying aloud, put the baby down and go help the baby down and oh. go help you know you'll come back <laughs> him. and yet she's running through the corridors with this whatever a sack of grain or whatever i'm thinking to myself this baby this colicky baby would be screaming <laughs> his head off she's oh. running so fast and this blue blanket is just going k-thunk, k-thunk, k-thunk. <laughs> <laughs> i mean come on now i do How have to say supposed that- to believe here
2: yeah that whole scene um that kind of took me out where they did the whole loud doors the loud clanky metal steps and yet the hybrid was not supposed to hear any of that as he came through. And then the baby Mm. crying. That's the one that got me, was when they were looking for them. He's walking down a
0: quiet hall. There's a baby cry. He turns around, walks back, looks around, and gives up. Yeah.
2: I'm sure I heard a baby cry, but... Must just be my imagination. That scene lost a lot right there, but other than that, it was you know with her coming you know into things at the very end when she sat there and you know great move on her part when he said you know if you come out I'll turn off da 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 and she turns it around on him that if you're on if you're telling the truth you'll turn it off now mm-hmm. the self destruct you know I thought that was well well done. Time is short, Taylor. I don't understand. I would think the choice is an easy one. If
1: nothing else, consider your child. By remaining in hiding, you are sentencing him
2: to die. What kind of mother would do such a thing? He has the chance to live. Both of you do. Come with me, Taylor. Trust me.
1: I will not harm either of you, and I will not harm Atlantis. You have my word. System. Taylor. You want me to trust you? Then show me you mean what you say. Turn off the self-destruct system and I will come with you.
2: I was surprised that he didn't do it because it was like she was agreeing to his proposal and he had won. Because he was lying. He was never planning on you know letting Atlantis live no matter what. Mm. And yeah. he wasn't gonna shut it back down only to give them more time uh, yeah. to well, get this... to it. This
0: was my question for you guys. Was Michael foolish in not leaving while he could? The first part of the episode, he had the baby, which was his primary Mm -hmm. mission objective. It seems like blowing up the city was sort of a secondary objective, maybe. Um, He had the baby. He could leave. He could continue his plans to perfect his hybrids and take over the galaxy. And uh, he didn't leave. And then later, obviously, he loses control of the baby. Um, Right. But he still has the baby's DNA. Assuming he was telling the truth about having taken that, was he foolish
2: in not getting out while he could?
1: He wanted to have his cake and eat it too, and you know, it's, it's not—that's not always possible. And look what it got him.
2: Well, see, and I come back to where um, I think the character was supposed to have gone over the edge at that point. Mm. That—that's why he couldn't do it. He couldn't walk away because of—he's—he's—he's he's, he's done. Lost it. It's gone. You know, his his mind, he is so far gone on vengeance and his own, um, you know, is, I don't know if the the appropriate word is megalomania, Mm -hmm. that, you know, he is, he is going to be the be all end all of everything. And, but he didn't know how to reconcile that, that insanity with some of just the baser needs, like you were saying, where Taylor was someone that showed compassion. He couldn't figure out how to put those two together. Yeah. And have have any kind of semblance of um, so it was an all or nothing thing for him. This was where the fact that I liked it
0: better the second time I watched it because I I saw it in terms of the two Michaels, the early Michael who mm. is is conflicted and and hates us but likes Taylor versus the new Michael who has some big plot to conquer the galaxy that dichotomy helps me to understand i think his his decision and his like like you said his insanity he's, he's basically lost it he's not just being a a, a stupid mustache twirling villain um, because it's the it's the first michael i think that we see here it's it's the michael who is not willing to give up his revenge of destroying atlantis
1: mm-hmm. yeah he's basically lost all perspective
0: you know so yeah he comes mm-hmm. with he comes to atlantis with these two objectives blow up the city and get the baby when he has to decide between the two, when he doesn't get both, uh, I think it's, it's that old Michael versus new Michael, revenge versus conquest, is, is what's
1: playing out. Mm-hmm. And the hybrids basically stand by and let him happen.
2: Man, what uninteresting characters they have become. <laughs> yeah, the hybrids, I have to say, I was very disappointed in them. You know, you had the one guy who talked to him, the rest of them were, you know, they were wallpaper. They were guards and they're
1: information-dispensing storytelling devices, and that's it, mm-hmm. you know? They, they really but were. I was expecting him to blow up on that one mm-hmm. hybrid, and, mm-hmm. and I was expecting him to kill him. I was, And I was hoping for, oh, this is going to be kind of interesting, you know? Maybe a little bit of depth to that shallow water of, of hybrids, but... Um, it just didn't happen. Michael just treats them like they're his subordinates and nothing mm-hmm, else. You know? mm-hmm. He doesn't treat them like you do, what you, you do what I ask of you or I'm going to blow your head off because I can just find someone else.
2: Well, going along the lines of what Darren had said about when you go into the second viewing, um, when I watched it the first time, I was watching it for Michael. Um, But then the second time, I was just watching it overall. And I have to say, I kind of lost Michael in a lot of the episode because the other characters really were standing out more to me. Um, You know, the whole thing with um, uh, Ronan and Banks in their fight scene. um, The things that were going on with um, McKay and Shepard. And one of the things I noticed, though, that actually annoyed me was I got tired of Rodney demeaning Raddick. I mean, he was coming up with the ideas. It wasn't Rodney, mm. and Raddick was, you know, right on spot. And yet, it seemed like, you know, this is annoying. Move on. Um, we're
1: wasting precious time here. Our city mm-hmm. is our city is under siege. People may be dying upstairs, and we're complaining about what to call the field. I was yes. I was hoping Shepard would say, "Just get over your petty bickering and do the job," because this is enough, you know. Well,
2: and yeah, then the other, you know, then you've got the whole thing with Wolsey. And and I thought at that moment when um, when Ronan was taking Wolsey through the hallways, and Ronan found out, okay, well the game has changed. They've self, you know they've set the self destruct, and he goes back to Wolsey and says, "You need to go, you need to go back." And Wolsey doesn't question him; he doesn't have the attitude. And to me, that showed you know true faith in this team. That Wolsey's yeah. got faith in these people, oh, and yeah. I thought that was a, n- a nice moment. And it, then it came back at the end where he, you know, where, where he actually, you know, voiced this to Ronan. And so I, I felt like that was uh, validated when I saw that. Well, and I saw a lot of things that were more with the rest of the cast in the second viewing um, that kind of then, you know, Michael was kind of the side story in a sense. There was a lot of things going on, which... I thought, you know, in overall, um, you know, now I guess even if the episode itself had moments where there was a lot of expectations, the more I'm talking about it now, you know, this was the whole team in action together. And it was everybody. And they all had a part in it. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we all beg for that. Uh, You know, I recognize that in the second. And now, as I, like I said, as I'm talking about it now more, um, you know, that's, you know, we we beg for that. We beg, team episodes, you know, we want to see this. And here it was. Yeah, right. It, so, it it really, you know, so that that makes it go up a couple of notches, I think, in my book overall. Just mm-hmm. for that aspect as well. hmm So, Tammy, what's your
0: overall rating then?
2: Um, I'm going to go with uh, probably seven and a half to an eight uh, because of that. You know, because of um, there was return to roots moments. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, where I felt like some there was some classic Stargate things that I really appreciate and I really enjoy. Um, the humor at the beginning and definitely at the end. I have to I loved Ronan's report. That just, you know, back to you know when Woolsey's listening to that and he just took it in stride and I just was like, way to go. Mm-hmm. That was just good. <clears throat> and um then um otherwise overall then they did some really good things I thought that um this showed uh some real good strengths and i hope to see more of that as the season finishes out they're really good at the fight scenes they do the action well um it was nice to see the team together so that, that it brought it up to about a seven and a half to an eight mm-hmm. the overall thing kind of made fell flat like i think uh you and i had talked about there it kind of fell flat to me at the end mm. david how about you overall
1: I would have to say uh, nine out of ten. The only reason oh. I didn't give it a ten out of ten, I, it's yeah, I told you, it's one I've been looking forward to, and. Um and uh, the structuring of of the show aside, it was um, next to my favorite uh, of the season, which is probably the Shrine. It was very well put together. But you're right. The only reason I don't give it a full 10 out of 10 is because the whole dancing around, you know, once again, we're trying to figure out what the heck the problem is. And we're in the dark along with the rest of the team when we could be using that. Up uh, to to further the valuable story time that we have with Michael is like oh my gosh they finally decided to bring Michael back for an episode I want I want to see what's happening with Michael because we never see him mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so nine out of ten
0: wow well overall looking at the prodigal I was I was pretty disappointed with it when I first saw it but then I realized that was sort of because I I didn't know how to interpret what Michael was doing um, I was looking at it I think from from the point of view of the overall Michael story arc, which is, as I said, something that I've been pretty disappointed with. Um, but watching it again, I think this is going to be one of those episodes that that really holds up over time and gets better over time. I'm going to agree with you there. There have been some episodes, like, I mean, of all episodes, Window of Opportunity in the fourth season of SG-1. I didn't mm-hmm. particularly care for it the first time I saw it. Uh, and it just... Every time I watch it, it gets better and better and better and now it's it's a classic and it's widely regarded as one of s g one's best episodes mm-hmm. at least one of its mm-hmm. best comedic episodes mm-hmm. uh, and I agree it's i think it's that's the episode that that and the four star ratings that I give on gate world that that one has been upticked the most from my original rating um, so I think prodigal' is really going to hold up over time because the original Michael is back um, i think that we get to see a little bit more of his character and, and who he is internally. He's mm-hmm. working through his issues with Tele internally. Mm-hmm. Um, that's much appreciated. And Atlantis is coming to an end, and we get closure. We get closure on a major character in a major yes. arc. Um, yes. I, I didn't like the slow build up, as I said. I thought it, it took too long to get to Michael, it was too much wasted time. But that was compensated for by a, a really great climax. Uh, mm-hmm. Destroying yes. destroying the the puddle jumper with with the kahoosh, mm-hmm. and then the big knockdown dragout was was just awesome awesome. I totally agree totally agree. I love the original Michael. I've got to say, I never really bought the latter Michael, uh, and so I'm glad to see the original Michael back. This is this is kind of my last question for you, Tammy. Is is now that Michael is for all intents and purposes, as far as we know, dead. Atlantis is coming to an end, so it's entirely possible that it's sci-fi. They may explain why he's back in maybe a future Atlantis movie, but as far as we know, he's dead. It's, it's the end of his character mm-hmm. arc. Uh, was his character arc, was his story arc satisfying?
2: Uh, well, like they say in sci-fi, yeah, you're never yep. dead in sci-fi. Right. Um, I I I want to say yes, but I think I have to say no for a lot of the reasons that you've already mentioned is um that the character did kind of uh, you know was kind of diametrically opposed in those that first season versus you know the the later seasons, and now he's come back. Um, and with a character that's that um, that intricate and has all these different facets and is so intertwined with Atlantis, I would have appreciated more um, just more from him or in the times that he was on. Building more on what you had and explaining it more, or making that character more um, just in depth. I felt like um, he was mm-hmm. being used kind of um, stereotypically in the last in the last uh, episodes he was in with Taylor. And the I'm you know I'm I'm the bad guy. This is what I'm supposed to do.
0: Yeah, I think he went. I think he went from a three dimensional character in in his early appearances mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. a two dimensional character. He was. Kind of the flat villain, and it was. Yeah. I think it was because we didn't really quite know what his plan was. We, I never saw him as particularly a, a credible threat, um, even though he he did some major things like unleashing the Hoffen virus, the Hoffen plague. Mm-hmm. Um, I never saw him as as really a credible threat to the Pegasus Galaxy because we never were clued in as to what his plan was.
2: How exactly? Right. How does right.
0: How does Baby Plus Hybrids Plus
2: Hoffman virus
0: equal ruling the galaxy
2: yeah and I have to agree with you there that's where I think it would be that's the unsatisfying part Yeah, you didn't get that full closure you know you've got a villain and he came back and we killed him so now you know he's dead kind of because it's it's sci-fi
0: it's a satisfying end I think it's it's not a terrific episode I'm going to give it a a rounded up 7 out of 10 but um, because overall it's, it's a satisfying conclusion for his character uh, the last the last half hour, 45 minutes of the episode, I think is really solid. The end is terrific. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, but, you yeah. know, at his peak of power, this is not something that Michael should have been doing. I think that what goes unspoken is that Michael was absolutely desperate. And he was probably, as he kind of hinted to Taylor, probably very low on resources. Um, and then obviously ah. the fact that he, he wants to blow up Atlantis at all costs... And he doesn't leave when he can shows obviously we talked about the fact that he's blinded by revenge.
2: Mhm. So No, and see that would have been so interesting to have that come out
0: more to me. Yeah, if he wasn't desperate and if he wasn't blinded by revenge, I think this is a mission that he shouldn't have been on. This was extremely high risk for mm-hmm. him to come to Atlantis and try and and expect to get away with this. Yeah. So it doesn't really surprise me because it was such a desperate gamble, it doesn't surprise me that he he didn't get away with it, and he met his end. And I, I'm I'm satisfied with the end, not with the arc overall, but but with mm-hmm. with the end and with the character and who he is internally.
2: So you wouldn't be beklempt or anything if they didn't bring him ever back ever in a movie or any of that.
0: No, I think it's it's uh, some wasted potential over the
2: course of most of seasons three and four, mm-hmm. but uh, but overall, I'm I'm satisfied with his end. I'd have to say that I am too, because I wouldn't want to see them resurrect him. It, it, you know, it's kind of like you know that that old ad adage as I kept referring to is you know you're in sci-fi you're never really dead in sci-fi, mm-hmm. but you know some you just have to you have to let them die mm-hmm. because if you don't you diminish everything you've done with them up to that point.
0: Listener mail. Our thanks to Tammy for joining us for this week's discussion. Now we want to hear from all of you out there about Michael. We asked you in last week's listener question what you thought of this bad guy and how he's been used on the show over the
1: last three years. Sharon says, I think Michael is a great character. He embodies everything that is wrong with the Wraith. And yet for those of us who saw the likable human side of him in the episode Michael, he's somehow still kind of a sympathetic character. Connor Trenier's character in Star Trek Enterprise was a fan favorite, and some of that carries over to Michael. He's one of those bad guys who you love to hate.
0: Stargate Lover writes, Here is a villain that we have met before and continue to meet. I enjoy revisiting him instead of just seeing another Wraith who Shepard decides to give a name to for an episode or two. It seems that Atlantis has just a bunch of faceless Wraith as enemies at times, so it's nice to have a familiar face every now and again.
1: Quaid One says, I find Michael boring. I don't like any of his stories. I would say he is the most uninteresting and boring villain in Stargate history. The best Michael episode was probably Search and Rescue, and although he wasn't in it, it was his facility. I think he's talking about um, Whispers. Whispers, that could be it.
0: I thought the reference to Search and Rescue was a little interesting because actually Michael was in that one, but he doesn't do a whole lot which I think is kind of characteristic of the way that his character has been used. I don't know, I, I kind of sympathize with this, this statement that, that Michael's boring. Um, as I said in our, in our episode discussion with Tammy, I think that the early Michael, the Michael who, is, who is, uh, has this inner conflict going on, is the really interesting one. Um, but the Michael that we've seen for the last year or so is, is boring to me.
1: He's kind of like Carmen Sandiego, you know? He, he comes in to stir up trouble and steal something or muck up with people, and then he slips out. Do you get that reference? Carmen Sandiego? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I'm not yeah. that old. He said, it's been a long time since I saw <laughs> Star Trek The Next Generation all the way back in college. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> geez, yeah, he's old.
0: you want me to sing you the theme song to Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego?
1: No, thank you.
0: Mac Jackson writes, I love that Michael is our mistake, and the Atlantis team did something dirty that came back to bite them. However, I think I would have liked it better if he became the leader of the Wraith thereby establishing him as the worst of the bad among the bad guys and helping us connect with him in his progress instead of him just being an occasional pain that needs to be dealt with. His sporadic appearances lessen his weight as a villain and have just made him another wraith with a name.
1: And in other listener mail, we have Mary writing in, from Hobbiton, I suppose. This is in regards to last week's discussion about characters we lost too soon. I was surprised when you brought up Jack O'Neill, as he was about the last character I'd give that distinction. I know I may be a minority among Stargate fans, but I never felt he made Stargate its greatest. He seemed to drag it into the cheese more often than not. Maybe if he had a purpose other than sarcastic comic relief, I would have agreed with you. But with him being rarely more than a 2D one-note character, I felt the show greatly benefited from his departure.
0: Here's this week's listener question. As Stargate Atlantis heads into its final six episodes, what do you think of the original races introduced on the show? Other than the Wraith, have you found those supporting character races like the Athosians or the Jani, the Satidans, or the Travelers to be interesting and well-used? Which race is your favorite? Coming up on the GateWorld Podcast, November 18th, we're talking about this Friday's episode, Remnants. Looking forward to that one. On November 25th, we're talking about Brainstorm, And there's no new episode airing the week of Thanksgiving, so on December 2nd, we're looking for a topic for discussion. If you have an idea, just send it in. Thanks for joining us for the podcast this week. We'd like to hear your feedback. Give us your answer to this week's listener question, or just tell us what's on your mind, preferably Stargate-related. Call the podcast hotline at 616-712-1647, or head over to GateWorld forum and look for the podcast feedback thread. In this week's episode, we talked about The Prodigal with Tammy from GateWorld Forum and gave you a preview of our interview with actor Peter Williams. For links to everything we talked about today, go to GateWorld.net and look for the episode number 18 show notes. From GateWorld.net, this is Darren Sumner. And I'm David Reed. And you've been listening to the GateWorld Podcast.
1: Yay, raw.